Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Independence Day. First, he broke ranks to back impeaching President Trump. Now, citing a partisan death spiral, he's leaving the Republican Party. I think people need to stand up for what's right. Is this Michigan congressman eyeing a higher office? Congressman Justin Amash joins us exclusively in moments. And back to the future? In a crowded field, the Democratic frontrunner carves out his lane. Look, it's center left. That's where I am. While his challengers try to draw contrasts. This is not 2016, this is 2020. And people are woke. CNN's exclusive interview with 2020 presidential candidate, former Vice President Joe Biden, next. Plus, women rule. The U.S. women's soccer team faces off in the World Cup finals. We think that the game should be played with exuberance. A 15-year-old American phenom wows at Wimbledon. American female athletes are standing out and speaking up. Dick Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is celebrating our nation's independence. We have a lot to get to this morning, including a new expression of regret from 2020 frontrunner, former Vice President Joe Biden. But we begin this week with a new declaration of independence, a sitting Republican congressman announcing he is leaving the Republican Party. In an op-ed released on the 4th of July, Congressman Justin Amash writes, quote, I've become disenchanted with party politics and frightened by what I see from it. The two-party system has evolved into an existential threat to American principles and institutions. Amash had been the most outspoken Republican critic of President Trump, becoming the first and only Republican lawmaker to call for impeachment proceedings after reading the Mueller report. The president, unsurprisingly, shared his feelings about Amash's decision on Twitter, calling him a total loser and calling his decision great news for the Republican Party. And newly minted independent Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan joins us now exclusively live for his first national interview since making the decision. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. So you didn't mention President Trump in your op-ed in the Post, but you did say you believe the GOP stood for limited government and economic freedom until recent years. Do you think you would be leaving the Republican Party if Donald Trump were not president? Yes, I do. And uh, I've had concerns with the Republican Party for several years. I've had concerns with the party system generally. When I first got to Congress, I thought I could change things from the inside. But as I've spent time there, I've seen that uh, not only me, I don't think there's anyone in there who can change the system. Um, It's pretty uh, rigid. It's top down. Uh, It comes down from leadership to the bottom. And um, over the years, it's gotten more rigid. So it's more difficult now to actually change the process than it was even a few years ago. Do you think it's fair to say that President Trump and your fellow Republicans' unblinking support for President Trump was the straw that broke the camel's back? I think this term in Congress has really shown how bad it can get. Uh, When I started the House Freedom Caucus, I was one of the founding members What we were fighting for was better process. We were fighting for a more open government, a more accountable government, 
we wanted members to have a voice in the process so that we'd have a deliberative body and we'd be able to represent people back home, um, whatever the outcome. Sometimes the outcomes would be more conservative, sometimes the outcomes would be more progressive. But whatever the outcome, we wanted to open it up. But over the years, I've seen that uh, people are just falling in line behind the leaders, including people in my own caucus, uh, you know, which I left. So uh, it's gotten worse and worse, and, and I think this was the term that really uh, broke it for me. The president last out on you on Twitter Thursday after your announcement that you were leaving the Republican Party, saying, quote, great news for the Republican Party is one of the dumbest and most disloyal men in Congress is, quote, quitting the party, no collusion, no obstruction, knew he couldn't get the nomination to run again in the great state of Michigan, already being challenged for a seat, a total loser. I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond. I mean, I don't have a response to it. It's, it's what the president does. It's what he says. Um, and I think most people understand that's not how people are supposed to talk uh, about each other and to each other. And uh, I think he's really identified what I talked about in my op-ed, which is um, he thinks that people owe loyalty to him. But people are, people are elected to Congress uh, with an oath to support and defend the Constitution, not an oath to support and defend one person, the president, uh, who happens to be from your own party. Do you think that kind of attack, personal, personal nasty, name-calling, um, do you think fearing that kind of attack is why more of your Republican colleagues don't speak out when they see things they don't like from the president? Yeah, it's a big part of it. Uh, they're afraid they'll be attacked. They're afraid that people uh, back home who are uh, listening to certain uh, forms of media will say, well, uh, the president's right, this guy's a terrible person, and we need to go after him. So it's a combination of things. Uh, I don't think a lot of the partisan discord and the rest started with President Trump. It's been going on for years and it's gotten worse in recent years. But he's helping to fuel it and he's making it worse and he's making it more difficult for people to be independent in Congress. You stand to lose some political power by leaving the Republican Party. The vice chair of the Republican Con Conference, Congressman Mark Walker, uh, tweeted, quote, Amash left the Freedom Caucus. Now he's leaving the GOP. The House GOP never left Justin Amash. We simply ran out of space for his ego. However, we should make sure he leaves the Republican conference and his committee. What would you say to a, a supporter or a constituent who says, by leaving the party, you are uh, hurting your congressional district because you no longer are going to have potentially? I mean, do, do you anticipate you're going to be kicked off the oversight committee? Uh, I anticipate that I may be kicked off. Um and, uh, and that's okay. I understand the consequences of doing what I'm doing. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I've done this for several years. I've worked within the Republican Party. I've tried to make changes from within. My colleagues have tried to make changes from within. It hasn't worked. It's not working for anyone. I'm not the only one trying. I have colleagues who are trying every day and who are frustrated, but they are not speaking out the same way. Um, I hope they will speak out. But it's time to try something different. It's time to be a, a committed, independent representative for my district so that everyone back home knows where I stand. Because right now, when you go back home, you hear uh, Republicans who don't trust you because you're not aligned with the president. You hear Democrats who don't trust you because you're a Republican. And most of the people in my district do trust me. They, they respect me. They support me. And I want those people to know that I'm there for them. I'm there to represent every single person in the community. But not having any power on a committee doesn't that hurt your ability to serve your constituents? In today's politics, the committees have almost no power. And I want people at home to understand that. Everything is really run top down. When I say that, I mean it very literally. 
The Speaker of the House very much controls the entire process. The Speaker decides what comes out of committee. When Speaker Ryan, our Republican Speaker, was there, the, I was on uh, several committees, and nothing ever came out of the committees that wasn't approved by Speaker Ryan. So let me ask you about that, because... Um I talked to Brendan Buck, who was a senior advisor to both Speaker Paul Ryan and to Speaker Boehner, um, and he says one of the reasons why Congress isn't functioning as it should is because of the Freedom Caucus. That's the perspective of a lot of people in Republican leadership, as I'm sure you know. Specifically, Buck said, you can't have an honest conversation about partisanship and polarization in the last five years without acknowledging the role the Freedom Caucus played. They insisted on loyalty to their own tribe above all else and drove this toxic notion that compromise is treason. As you mentioned, you're a founding member of the Freedom Caucus. What's your response to that? Do you, do you think that the Freedom Caucus deserves any blame for how things are, are going in Congress right now? So I don't want to speak for the Freedom Caucus today since I'm no longer a member, but I will say when the Freedom Caucus was founded, the purpose was to open up the process. And uh, the Speaker of the House and his spokespeople have it totally backward. They were closing down the entire system, and members of the Freedom Caucus said, well, we need to band together to ensure that we open this up. We want to be able to offer amendments on the House floor. Uh, under Speaker Ryan, for example, for the first time in congressional history, we had a whole Congress where not a single member of Congress was able to go to the House floor and offer an amendment. It was the first time in history. It was the most closed Congress in history. And now under Speaker Pelosi, we have the same problem, where we're not allowed to go to the House floor and offer amendments. So the thing is closed down. We need to open it up. And sometimes you have to form a group like the Freedom Caucus to stand up to the establishment in Washington. So just to give their perspective, for instance, um, the Senate passed immigration reform during uh, the Obama years. It was a bipartisan bill uh, passed with 60 something votes, mostly Democrats, but some Republicans as well. Speaker Boehner wouldn't even bring it up. And they say it's because the House Freedom Caucus would insist on you can't bring up any legislation unless you know that a majority of Republicans are going to support it. And for that reason, uh, there, there wasn't a free and open process. And well, that was never the philosophy of the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus was about opening up the process. I can't speak for individual members who may have felt that way. Um, but the, speaker, the um, Freedom Caucus was about opening up the process and ensuring that the speaker allowed us to offer amendments, allowed us to offer suggestions, because it's supposed to be a deliberative body. We're not just supposed to take things and pass them. We're supposed to debate and, and represent the American people. You've said that people turn to, into, quote, zombies when they come to Washington because they're telling you things privately that are different than what they say publicly. What are you hearing from fellow Republicans privately? Obviously, you don't have to mention their names about your decision uh, and about being a Republican member of Congress in the Trump era. Well, I get... Uh, you know, people sending me text messages, people calling me saying, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, great op-ed. Uh, when I was discussing impeachment, I had fellow colleagues and, and other Republicans, high-level officials, contacting me saying, thank you for what you're doing. So there are lots of Republicans out there who are saying these things privately, but they're not saying it publicly. And I think that's a problem for our, for our country. It's a problem for the Republican Party. Um, it's a problem for the Democratic Party when people aren't allowed to speak out. So I, I think we really need the American people to stand up and say, hey, enough is enough. We've had it with these two parties trying to ram their partisan nonsense down our throats week after week. We want a person to go represent us and be uh, open and represent the entire community. Are you running for re-election as an independent in, to Congress? Yes, I am. Yeah. You are, and you think you can win as an independent? Yes, I'm very confident about that. What about the possibility of your running for president uh, as a libertarian or some under, uh, some, under some other uh, ticket 
Um, I asked you about that uh, four or five months ago, and you didn't rule it out. Is it possible you would run for president? I still wouldn't rule anything like that out. Um, I believe that I have to use my skills, my uh, public influence, where it uh, serves the country best. And I believe I have to defend the Constitution in, which, in whichever way works best. And if that means doing something else, then I do that. But uh, I feel uh, confident about running in my district. I feel a close tie to my community. I feel I care a lot about my community. I want to represent them in Congress. When do you think you'll make a decision about a possible presidential run? Well, it's, it's something people talk about all the time. Uh, it's not something that's right on my radar right now. So I, I couldn't tell you. What do you think about when, what, what does it feel like when you have First of all, when you, you, I think you made your announcement about um, impeachment and Donald Trump Jr. on Twitter basically threatened that he was going to support whoever primaried you. Uh, then you announced that you're not running as a Republican. President Trump issues the tweet that he issues. This is the most powerful family in the country right now, and they're gunning for you. What does that feel like just as a person? Well, it doesn't scare me. Um, I feel confident in what I do. I have people back home who support me. I have people back home who care about me. Uh, when I go back to my district, people are uh, coming up to me and saying, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, people want open, honest representation. They want people to come to Congress and work with integrity. And uh, what the president is doing is actually lowering the tone across the country. He's uh, harming civil discourse. He's creating a lot of uh, partisan divide. He's enhancing it. Um, and uh, I think that's very dangerous for our country, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate it. I think a lot of people put up with it because the economy is good right now, but um, I don't think they'd put up with it if things went uh, south. So you've come out in support of impeaching, or at least beginning the proceedings of impeaching President Trump. You've said there's no point uh, in formally bringing articles of impeachment right now because Speaker Pelosi doesn't support it. Is she making a mistake? Do you think that the Democrats should be starting impeachment proceedings based on the Mueller report, what's in there about uh, potential obstruction of justice, which is the case you laid out. Yeah, from a principled, moral position, she is making a mistake. Uh, from a strategic position, she is making a mistake. If she believes, as I do, that there's impeachable conduct in there, then she should say so. She should tell the American people we're going to move forward with impeachment hearings and, and uh, potentially articles of impeachment. When she says things like, oh, I think that we need to have the strongest case before we go forward. What she's telling the American people is she doesn't think there's a strong case. If she doesn't think that, then she shouldn't open her mouth in the first place and say she thinks there's impeachable conduct. I do believe there's a strong case. I believe she believes there's a strong case. And if so, she should move forward and make sure that the American people understand what's going on. Because people at home aren't reading the Mueller report. Most people don't have time to read a 448-page report. Ex they expect their members of Congress to do the work for them. They want Speaker Pelosi to do the work. They want other members to do the work. And if she doesn't want to go forward, then we're going to have a big problem. Last question. How many of your Republican colleagues do you think have actually read the Mueller report? I think it's probably less than 15 percent. And I'd say that's uh, probably the case on both sides of the aisle. Do you think it's that once anyone reads it, they would reach the same conclusion as you? I think uh, a large number of them would reach the same conclusion. There are some who could reach different conclusions. Um, but when you look at the conduct in there, when you look at the evidence that's presented, I think basically anyone would be indicted for that conduct, anyone who is not the president of the United States. Congressman Justin Amash, independent of Michigan. Good to see you, sir. Thank Thanks, you so Jake. much for joining Appreciate us. It. Appreciate it. Former Vice President Joe Biden is using President Obama's name to defend his record, record and character, and he's calling out his rivals for unfairly attacking him, he says. So why is he now saying he's changed? We'll hear from the former vice president in a CNN exclusive next.
Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. In a major speech yesterday, former Vice President Joe Biden attempted to defend his record, saying that he has changed since the 1970s and that he was vetted and selected by President Obama. That defense comes after weeks of criticism from his Democratic opponents who are suggesting the former vice president is out of touch on issues such as race. The vice president spoke exclusively with my colleague Chris Cuomo and tried to explain his position on voluntary school busing in the 1970s. If busing didn't work, then it made sense that you weren't for it back then. But But why say you were for it? Why not just be straight about it and move on? Because there's three different pieces. I was for voluntary busing. Number one, I was for busing where the court showed that, in fact, a legislative body took an action preventing black folks from going to a school. Mm. That is the jure, I know you know, the jure segregation. The difficult piece is, this is 50 years ago, people don't understand the context. The third one is, do you have an administration through their non-elected officials, the Department of Housing, decide every school should be equally balanced across the board? That's a different issue. And the way to deal with that problem is what I did from the time I was a kid. I got out of, school, I got out of law school, came back, had a great job, became a public defender. I, I, I fought for putting housing in, in uh, uh, low-income housing in, in suburbia. I talked about eliminating redlining. I talked about school districts should be consolidated in ways that made sense. So, in fact... Why didn't you fight it like this in the debate? In 30 seconds? Hey, Come what on, happens man. most in a debate, Mr. Vice President? People blow their time cue. You're the only person I've well, ever seen on a debate stage say I'm out of time. Well, we never had a place where you have 30 seconds, man. What I didn't want to do is get in that scrum. Do you think the American public looked at that debate, take me out of it, and thought, boy, I really, I really like the way that's being conducted. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. But they're, they're going to come after you. Sure, they're going to come after you. Were me. you prepared for them to come after you? I was prepared for them to come after me, but I wasn't prepared for... The person coming at me, the way she came out, she knew Bo, she knows me. I don't, anyway, I, but here's the deal. What I do know, and it's the good and the bad news, the American people think they know me and they know me. Mm. Since that occurred, I had the most sought after endorsement for the mayor of Atlanta, a black woman who's a great leader, Mayor Bottoms, endorsement. I've had numerous members of the Black Caucus endorsement. Here's the tough question for Democrats. They need a warrior, okay? Because not to aggrandize, not to lionize, but this president knows how to fight in the ring one on one. Kamala Harris is friendly fire. Cory Booker is friendly fire. How can Democrats have confidence that you can take on the biggest and the baddest when you're having trouble sparring in party? I don't think I'm having trouble sparring. It's how you want to spar. Look, I'm the guy at the time, everybody talks about things that are changed. I took on same-sex marriage. I took on a whole range of issues. I took on arms control. I took on dealing with the Russia with the, with the arms control agreement. I took on uh, Putin in terms of uh, Iraq. I mean, excuse me, in terms of uh, uh, um, what was going on in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I've taken on these leaders around the world. I'm the guy that's gone in and met them. I've taken on all these leaders. I, I mean, I'm, this is ironic. I've never been accused of being, not being able to spar. I've been accused of being too aggressive. But the, but the game has changed. Well, and you think that what's happening with Harris is anything compared to what would happen with you in this? No, president? but everybody knows who this guy is. Come on, man. Come on. How do you beat him? I beat him by just pointing out who I am and who he is and what we're for and what he's against. This guy is a divider in chief. This guy is acting with racist policies. This guy is moving to, to, to just foment hate 
to split. That's the only way he can be sustain himself. Nothing about him oh, worries you? Oh, yeah, well, sure it worries me in the sense that I'm looking forward to this, man. You walk behind me in a debate. Come here, man. No, you think I, you know me too well. I mean, I, I, the idea that I'd be intimidated by Donald Trump, he's the bully that I knew my whole life. He's the bully that I've always stood up to. He's the bully used to make fun when I was a kid and a stutter and I smacked him in the mouth. Look, this is not. But that, they, I think the American people want a, a president who has some dignity, who has a value set, who is actually trying to restore the soul of this country. So when they turn on the television, they look up and their kids say, I want to be like that guy or that woman. You versus the rest of the field on the economy. They're all going big. 70% tax rates, free college, re-architecture of the economy, a forgiving debt for college, which happens to be the biggest asset on the American government's balance sheet. You do not believe in those things. I don't believe in the way they're doing that. For example, I think every, there should be health care for everyone. I have a plan how to do that that's rational and will cost a hell of a lot less and will work. In terms of... Too incremental? The, no, it's not incremental. It's Would bold. you bring back the individual mandate? Pardon me? Would you bring back the individual yes. mandate? Yes, I bring back the individual you mandate. Think that'll be popular? Well, it's not. Yes, now it would be compared to what's being offered. And here's the deal, Chris. We're in a situation where if you provide an option for anybody who, in fact, wants to buy into Medicare for all, they can buy in. They buy in and they can do it. But if they like their employer based insurance, which a lot of unions broke their neck to get, a lot of people like their they shouldn't have to give it up. The flip of that is, if you don't go my way you and you go their way, you have to give up all that. And what's going to happen when you have 300 million people landing on a health care plan? How long is that going to take? What's it going to do? How do you convince the party that these more advanced ideas, like all in on Medicare for all, that matter to them? Advanced. I well, would They're popular them, in the party. Well, by the way, watch. That's what this election is about. I'm really, I'm happy to debate that issue and all those issues with my friends, because guess what? Again, look who won the races. Look who won last time out. We had, and by the way, I think, I, I think Ocasio-Cortez is a brilliant, bright woman, but she won a primary. In the general election fights, who won? Mainstream Democrats who are very progressive on social issues and very strong on education, health care. Look, my North Star is the middle class. When the middle class does well, everybody does well. What do you say to the people in party right now when polled who say, yeah, I like Joe Biden, but I think that his ideas are the old ideas. The new ideas, I see a Warren, I see a Sanders, I see a Harris. You I've poll lower than them. You poll lower than them on ideas for the future. What do you say to them? I say to them, take a look at my ideas. Take a look at my ideas. I haven't seen those polls. I haven't seen where people say, what I've seen around the country is the vast majority of Democrats are where I am on the issues. We've got to be aggressive. And they're big ideas. The big idea on education, on health care, on dealing with the environment. I mean, it's just, uh, I, I, I love how, you know, all of a sudden, I, I wish I had been... I wish I'd been labeled as moderate when I was running in Delaware back in the days when it was... Uh, 80% of your party says it's center-left. No, uh, I am center-left. You know, farther left is getting no, no, more no, no, attention. No. It's getting amplified. It is. Look. It's a disconnect. Look, it's center-left. That's where I am. Where it's not is way left. Now, look, but that's what we can find out. That's what this, that's what this debate is about. 
Next up, Senator Kamala Harris is responding to the vice president. Is he woke enough for the 2020 field? Stay with us. Was I wrong a few weeks ago to somehow give the impression to people that I was praising those men who I successfully opposed time and again? Yes, I was. I regret it. Let's just be really clear. This is not 2016. This is 2020. And people are woke. The former vice president expressing regret yesterday about comments about working with segregationists in the Senate early in his career. But are Democratic primary voters too woke to ultimately back Biden in 2020? Let's discuss. Uh, Dr. Al let me start with you. Um, What do you make of it all? Look, I think we're starting to see not just an ideological rift in the party, but really a generational rift in the party. And you've got folks like Joe Biden who cannot actually go back and say, look, when I was working with some of those folks, I was wrong on issues that were called out. Or you've got somebody like Speaker Pelosi who's going after the most popular congresswoman by far in the country. And you're starting to see... Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez. So you're starting to see this generational rift wherein you're seeing this old school politics where not everything was caught on camera, not everything was, um, you know, access to a cell phone or or tweeted. Um, And it's not okay anymore to just say, I was right, no matter what happened. We have to be able to say, look, I was wrong about something and I've changed. The world has changed. And this is how how I've evolved with it. And we're seeing it uh, on multiple fronts. How would you have advised the vice president to deal with this uh, beyond not bringing up the segregationists uh, to begin with? Well, I think I would have advised him to do this several months ago. Uh, and there were a couple of things he could have done years ago, including calling Anita Hill. But we are where we are. I think his advisors, and I know his advisors, were telling him for months, this is going to be a hard race. People are going to come after you because you're going to be the front runner. Uh, you're going to have to reintroduce yourself. And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that he's learned that himself. Uh, people don't fully know him. Uh, they need to know who he is, not just Barack Obama's running mate, uh, that his opponents are going to come after him, as should be expected. And what we saw this weekend is he's trying to regain footing and reset the narrative for him. Whether that works or not, we'll see. I mean, that's up to primary voters. I don't think Joe Biden thought this was going to be as difficult as it is. You've got Kamala Harris that is calling him out on all of his issues. He's got two problems. One is he has to separate himself and say, look, I wasn't just part of the Obama administration. I was actually a leader there. I was, I mean, these are my proposals. He's got to talk about what he is going to do. And on the other end, the things that he actually did independently, he's apologizing for. He's saying, look, I was wrong. I was wrong on this. I was wrong on that. And at some point, people think and people know that a great indicator of what you're going to do in the future is what you've done in the past. And you've got to figure out if you're apologizing for all of the things that you did independently, I mean, how are you going to be a different leader? And I think he's got he's struggling with that. So I want to ask you, Scott, because one of the things that I wonder about is President Trump in the 70s, when uh, Joe Biden was working with these segregationists and uh, and opposing busing, et cetera, President Trump was being sued by the U.S. government for discriminating against African-Americans in in housing. So it's not as though he has a shiny record on, on these issues either. But he's out there on Twitter today attacking Joe Biden for segregationists. Yeah, and I think the president thinks his record on criminal justice reform matches up well against uh, Joe Biden's record on the crime bill. And um, and he thinks he showed his leadership on this issue in the modern era is going to be a nice contrast to what Biden did in his career. And, and I think you're going to see the president's campaign continue to drive that. 
And it's not a partisan issue. This was a bipartisan effort, and a lot of Democrats have praised the Trump White House for getting it done. But I think, Scott, I mean, one of the things Democrats agree on, and we're seeing this over the past couple of days, is that issues like housing and education and economic opportunity are how you address racial injustice. It's not going to be a debate about 1970s busing when it comes to the nominee versus Donald Trump. That's where it becomes problematic for Donald Trump. But, but it, criminal justice was a big part of it, and it's something that we've worked on. I worked with the Congressional Black Caucus on. This is something that we worked on for a very long time. And actually getting that done, it's a big deal. So now we're moving on to the next. But you have to be able to look. A person who's not an apologist for the administration, first of all, I want to make sure that we're giving credit where credit is due. That was done by the House of Representatives and by Congress. And mm. the president was able to sign that into law, which is great. But this was a big deal. Criminal justice reform was a big deal. And he is going to have to face the 1994 criminal um, crime, the crime bill. bill yeah. But let's yeah. be clear. The bigger question here is about white supremacy. You, you've got a president who has no legs to stand on, actively discriminating against people of color in his own apartments. I mean, th there is no world where you can look at this crime reform, which, like you said, uh, is, a, is, is an accomplishment of the House of Representatives and say that the Trump White House got it done. No, I'm sorry. Joe Biden, I agree as with far that. as it goes, yeah. I mean, it, different, different strokes. So we, we made a, a, everybody in the media world made a big thing out of the other day when uh, President Trump refused to endorse uh, Vice President Pence for president in 2024. Take a listen uh, to Michelle Obama yesterday talking about the primaries. Barack and I are going to support whoever wins the primary. So... We're cons our primary focus is letting the primary process play out because it's very early. As with President Trump, that's, you know, that's what you have to say. You can't really uh, lean on the scales at all. But um, boy, Biden, I'm sure, would have loved a, a note of support there. Sure. But I think President, former President Obama, Michelle Obama made a decision strategically they're going to stay out because they see they saw what happened four years ago. When you put your thumb on the scale too early, mm -hmm. um, you're going to mess up the party. The party's going to be divided. They'll come in when it's the right time or they're going to preserve that option. But until then, they want to see how it plays out. They want to see what the American people think. I actually think that's the right decision on their part. All right, everyone stick around. We have a lot more to talk about. The latest criticism of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is coming from inside her own house. That's next. Stay with us. In an interview with the New York Times, Maureen Dowd, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi seemed to take something of a swipe at the popular progressive Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow progressive fresh women, saying, quote, all these people have their public whatever and their Twitter world, but they didn't have any following. They're four people, and that's how many votes they got. If the left doesn't think I'm left enough, so be it. Uh, Dr. Al-Sayed, what do you think? What's your response there? The world is changing. And what you're seeing both with Pelosi and Biden is the way that the system of politics corrupts the best intention of politicians. If the only people you're talking to are the folks who are paying $1,000 a pop to talk to you at a dinner, you're going to get a very skewed picture of what the system of our politics or the situation of our politics looks like. And uh, I'll tell you that AOC is a lot closer to the ground and what Democrats are talking about right now. Um, the world is changing, and these folks, it's leaving them behind. She does seem, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the others, uh, do seem popular with the Democratic uh, grassroots. That's true, and they deserve credit for bringing some excitement to Washington and what's happening here. Uh, that hasn't happened in some time. But if you're only paying attention to what's happening on Twitter, you're also not in touch with the country and also not in touch with uh, what many young people are feeling, what many people who are in their 40s or 50s are feeling. 
We know that Twitter is more liberal, it's whiter, I say as a white liberal person, mm -hmm. um, than most of the country. And it's not in touch with all the conversations. What Pelosi is also thinking about is the other, the vast majority of newly elected members of Congress mm -hmm. who, would, who are representing districts that are a lot more moderate, that are a lot more um, conservative in some areas and policies. And, and that's who she's uh, thinking of and she's also hearing from. So, so I just think, so yeah. I'm from the state of Michigan. and. I know what it was like to have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in town. I'll tell you what, she draws a lot more young people, like you're talking about, beyond Twitter to actually come and listen to what she has to say because they recognize that she's the future of the That's party. That's not a criticism Nancy of Nancy Pelosi never represented but what I'm speaking the to, middle if you, states, if you speak the older folks. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who I think is a superstar and represents... It Slotnick. Was Slotnick. Uh, Slotkin. Slotkin. Um, Slotkin, who represents a Sorry. district in Michigan, uh, she's someone who will say that doesn't speak to my constituents and what I hear from people every day. It's not a criticism mm -hmm. of it's just that they wouldn't be elected in 90% of districts in the country. So, I think that's what's Pelosi But neither would do. Nancy Pelosi. So speaking <laughs> of rebels, I want to turn to the Justin Amash interview <laughs> from a little while ago. Uh, and, and here is some sound. This is a, a Michigan a Republican congressman turned independent. He just spoke with us uh, on a Sunday exclusive. Take a listen. I'm not the only one trying. I have colleagues who are trying every day and who are frustrated, but they are not speaking out the same way. Um, I hope they will speak out, but it's time to try something different. It's time to be a, a committed, independent representative for my district so that everyone back home knows where I stand. So you served alongside uh, Congressman Amash. Mm -hmm. That's one name I won't mess up. Um, right. what, uh, what do you make? Do you think he made the right decision becoming an independent? Well, first of all, he is not doing anything that he has not done in the past. He likes being on his own. He, is, he loves being a person that will make a bold statement and be and vote across and vote with Nancy Pelosi most of the time if he feels like that is, that's going to shake up the process. There are two areas where I, I wanted to discuss really quickly. One is where he says he, he is absolutely right when he says that the administration demands 100% loyalty and they won't give it back. And so that, that area I agree. But where he's actually leaving the party and thinks that he's actually going to be able to change the process from being a one person in his own caucus speaking to himself, it's, it's really it's unrealistic to think that you're going to change anything. What you have to do is put yourself in uncomfortable situations, go and speak to people that you don't agree with and see if you can have a dialogue that will change other people's minds. You can't do that on your own. Mm -hmm. What a burden it must be to be the smartest person in a room full of 435 people. <clears throat> he says he went to the Freedom Caucus and tried to change things and no one would listen. I went to my committee hearings and no one would listen. And now I'm just going to leave everything. I didn't think it was possible for him to be more irrelevant in Congress, but he found a way. The reality is, <clears throat> with his voting record and his views on the president, he could not win a Republican primary in Michigan. This was not born out of principle. This is born out of political expediency. And he's going to run for re-election, maybe, unless he runs for president. But the fact is, this guy has never been able to work with others. He's never affected change on behalf of his district. And to go and blame everybody else, to me, strikes me that the people of Michigan might want somebody else. You're from Michigan. What do you think? I mean, look, let's not forget how this all started. He actually read the Mueller report, and he realized what almost all of us have realized is that this individual who's serving in the White House is unfit to serve and has probably committed impeachable offenses and was the only person with any guts on the Republican side to say it. And at this point, yes, the party's probably pushed him out, but that's also because I have no clue why. But, 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 but why is it that Republicans have not been able to stand up and say that the things that are coming out of Donald Trump's mouth are wrong. That's wrong. You're absolutely incorrect. wrong because there have been. 
There have been. I've said it. Um, there are other people that have said it. They have been. And the ones that have actually said it have been targeted. So that, I mean, just let, let, let's make sure that. This, but, by the no, way, but, let's but, start with the Mueller report, by the way. Let's go back. His voting record has been out of step with the rest of the House Republican conference since the moment he got there. He's been one of the least likely people in the House Republican conference to support the current Republican agenda. This didn't start with a Mueller report. That's a convenient excuse these days. But he's been out of step with his own party for a long time. Why? What I don't think Justin Amash is going to be president, and I don't know what his future is. Um, and I thought that he's kind of rewrote the um, the House Freedom Caucus history there, but doesn't matter too much. But what I will, what I did think was interesting was him saying that people haven't been people say things quietly. We hear this all the time from people who are reporting on it. Republicans express concern about President Trump quietly. They say, "Oh, I can't believe he's doing this quietly." They are not outspoken about it. They aren't courageous when they're voting. We've seen that. That's a Good point. Interesting point. I wish more people would follow him and be can, more vocal. He can do that. But do you have to leave the Republican Party? I mean, do you believe in the platform and do you believe in the principle? Because I've said this. I was like, I'm sure, Justin, I'm sure I have been Republican longer than the uh, president has. And so why why not hold him accountable to that and, and stay with the party and say, look, you are not going to change the platform that we believe in? Happy Fourth of July to all of you. I really appreciate your being here. American female athletes are going for glory this weekend. So why are they coming under so much criticism. That story next. This has been a huge week for American female athletes. 15-year-old tennis phenom Coco Goff battled it out to advance to the round of 16 at Wimbledon. And the U.S. women's national soccer team is facing off against the Netherlands in the World Cup final. CNN's sports analyst Christine Brennan joins me now for more. Christine, what an incredible week for women in sports. Is this unusual for the United States and is it part of a, a national change? Jake, it's, it's going to happen more and more. We, we should get used to it. Title IX was signed by Richard Nixon 47 years ago. And so what we're seeing now is the explosion of a second or third generation of girls playing sports, growing up with total acceptance, confidence, comfortable in their own skin, and wanting to win at all costs. And because the U.S. has Title IX and no other nation in the world has, we're going to continue to see this, the Olympic Games next year in Tokyo, the World Cup final, as you mentioned today, Coco Goff, obviously the Williams sisters, on and on it goes in every venue, in pools, in track and field, in, on fields across America, scholarship athletes, what have you, or just girls who are playing sports for a few years and then move on. They are better off because they played sports because of Title IX. I saw a statistic saying that uh, <clears throat> girls play, uh, high school girls playing soccer uh, has gone up from the 1970s. 17,000 percent, the number of girls. And before Title IX, the, the girls just didn't have those options available. Well, think about it. You drive in your neighborhood and you see, and everyone else listening and watching right now, you drive around and you see girls playing on a field. You don't give it a second thought. Nope. Forty years ago, you, were, you saw a girl on the field. She was probably there. She'd run over to tell her brother it was time to come home for dinner. And so we as a nation have fallen in love with what we've created. We really saw this 20 years ago with the Women's World Cup in 1999 and Brandy Chastain. Sure. And now this is just the continuation of it. And, and as the women's soccer team fights for the World Cup, they've been criticized for all sorts of things. Uh, their co-captain, uh, Megan Rapinoe, has gotten into a public spat with President Trump. Is this team a flashpoint specifically, or is it just what any athlete who opposes President Trump might go through? Well, we're seeing more of this than ever before in terms of this president and his willingness to go after and engage athletes, not only Colin Kaepernick, domestic athletes, Jake, but also athletes who are representing the country 
uh, overseas wearing the red, white, and blue. Extraordinary. Uh, we saw it with Mike Pence and Adam Rapon, the figure skater, a year and a half ago, and now we're seeing it with, with Trump. And so he's stuck. You know, he tweets about everything. He's not tweeting about this because he's basically painted himself in a corner of being against Megan Rapinoe, who is, of course, the widely popular captain of this team, scoring those four goals to win those two games against France and England. And so I think it's fascinating that he's there, but I think we'll see more of this because these women are empowered as never before, and they're speaking out against a president that they don't respect. All right, Christine Brennan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Coming up, what qualities make the best leaders? Bill Gates shares his secrets next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 